great privilege and honor it is to come together this morning. We're so thankful not only for our membership at Pippin and certainly for the good number that we're able to be able to have here today with health and the other blessings, but in addition, the visitors who've come our way, we're so happy to have you as well. If you have questions about our congregation, we'd be delighted to talk with you, to speak with you. We simply want to be a group of people who love the Lord and love His truth and want to follow that as closely as we possibly can, knowing that only therein do we have the promise and the blessing of eternal life. As perhaps you're well aware, our lesson this morning, as you can see on the wall to my left, is entitled Customs of Life. I do hope, though, as you begin to think about that with me, you give some thought to that article that's been chosen to put in the bulletin today. I'm sure all of us are a little bit heavy-hearted as we think about the choices that our Supreme Court has made, the rulings that they've enacted, and now what is, of course, the recognized capability in all 50 states of our union. I suppose as we think about that, all of us, as those who believe in the inerrant Word of God and the fullness of the authority it has, of course, it concerns us, it troubles us. I hope that perhaps in the coming weeks, I hope to bring a lesson and uh, not ready for that today, but in the coming weeks, maybe to help all of us to think about as aspects and considerations of that in a way that might, of course, still remain fully in con concert with the Bible and challenge you and me yet and yet again to think about, of course, that which is the full Word of God. Customs of life. I suppose that very name might be something that causes you a bit of concern or at least wonderment. What's he going to talk about today? And what particular scriptures are you and I going to consider? Here's an opening slide that I hope will put your mind at ease in one sense, but also prompt all of us to think about, really, what is the human creature? You and me as human beings. Humans are creatures of routine. By and large, that's just the way it is. You and I develop routines of life with which we're comfortable, and we do things that way every time. Sometimes routines several times a day come before us, and you and I do things that very same way every time. It's not that it has to be done that way. It's that you and I have become comfortable with it. It's a habit, if you please. One of the things that we're taught in school is that every habit is learned. We aren't born with these habits in us. We learn them over the course of time, and as we ingrain them in us, they soon become to describe who you and I are as individuals. You'll notice then along that line, one of the first things that you might consider, the word routine does not occur anywhere in the Bible. That word per se is not found anywhere in either the Old or the New Testament. But there are a number of other words that have strong association with it that are found many times, not the least of which words like custom, words like tradition, words like conversation, words like manner of life. Today I would ask that you and I take a few moments and look at verses like these and use them to ask about what about the routines of my life and the routines of your life. Those things that perhaps you do on a frequent basis what does the Bible have to say about those routines? In fact, the very bottom, those routines by and large can be very significant because, again, they dictate the kind of person that you and I are and they dictate the way that others see us. So what about these routines of life? This opening slide, or this next slide at least, is one that asks us to consider 
these customs or these routines of life. And let's look at a few verses that will really have much to say about them. You may notice at the top of that slide, again, many of us have grown up appreciating them. We witnessed them in our parents, in our grandparents. Maybe you remember, and maybe to this day, you plant your garden on a certain day of the year or perhaps at a certain season on the calendar. Furthermore, maybe you like to have a snack about mid-morning every single morning. It's not that you have to have that. It's that it is a routine with which you have become accustomed. It's a routine that you, in some ways, have developed as a pretty strong habit. Those kinds of routines maybe bring us even in the nature of the church. Sometimes we have traditions. At the close of every sermon, we sing a song of encouragement, a song of invitation. Now that is a fine tradition, but it doesn't have to be so. The preacher could close the sermon, ask for invitation, and we need not sing that song. But yet, it's a convenient time. It's an opportune one, and it provides perhaps a sense, an environment maybe a bit more comfortable for someone to come forward if they wish to do so. But you might notice the phrase, invitation song, isn't found in the Bible anywhere. But as far as a tradition, it appears to be a good one. Look at some of the biblical statements of how strong certain traditions can be. In Galatians 1.14, even the Apostle Paul made reference to these and he said, I advance beyond mine equals. Why, Paul? Because I was more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of our fathers. Paul said, I was exceedingly zealous of what? Those traditions, the way I'd been brought up, the thoroughness with which I'd been instructed, I was zealous after that. Paul was so zealous after it, he even had letters that permitted him to imprison those in Damascus in Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. He even, of course, had part to play as he witnessed the stoning of Stephen there in Acts, the seventh chapter. Tradition sometimes can be exceedingly powerful. You'll notice in John 19, or rather John 18, verse 39, we remember that there was a tradition, a custom, if you please, is the wording that was used for it there. Pilate had a custom. Every year at the Passover, I'll release a prisoner. And he used that as an opportunity to say, will you rather have Barabbas or will you rather have Jesus? Much to his disappointment, they asked for Barabbas. They wanted Barabbas released and Jesus crucified, but that was a custom every year to release a prisoner. Notice it was a custom. Maybe in light of all those things, look then at what you and I can quickly conclude. Some traditions are fully consistent with the Bible. Paul even went so far as to say in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Hold fast the traditions that ye have received of us. The brethren in Thessalonica, they had been privileged with the preaching of Paul and others to have received the truth of God. And furthermore, they were admonished, yea, even ordered, you cling tightly to the traditions that are correspondent to truth. Today, you and I can still feel very strongly, even if it's a routine of my life or yours, if it's consistent with the Bible, if it's in harmony with the Word of God, we should feel no concern about remaining in that consideration of that routine. But that stands fully opposed to this one. Some traditions are wrong. 
Some traditions are problematic in that they are not consistent with the Word of God. To your attention, I would call Mark chapter 7, verse number 9. On that occasion, Jesus Himself directly affirmed that. There were some traditions to which they were giving heed. And Jesus said, Full well do you transgress the commandment of God, preferring your own traditions. In other words, they looked more thoroughly, more powerfully, and more authoritatively on their own traditions than they did what God said. And if at any time that happens, we're just as wrong as they were. We must never allow habits or routines or customs to reign supreme over the book of God. God's Word must dictate and determine what's right. Some particular considerations bring us back to 1 Samuel. In chapter 2, verse 13... The word custom is used in a very interesting way. The subject was that of Eli's sons who were the priests. And the text says the custom of the priests was. And then it goes on to identify in that verse some evils and some atrocities that the priests were committing. But notice it was a custom. They were following a tradition that God did not approve by virtue of the nature of His Word. Another example... Note the last one, Jeremiah 10, verse 3. One more time, the people had a custom all right, but it was a custom that was wholly separated from the truth of God. In fact, it was a sinful custom. You see, our traditions, our routines and habits of life should be things that we at least consider. I realize in becoming a routine, maybe we do it almost without thinking, but we must be careful about that. What about your routines of life and mine? Well, as we transition to the next slide, I've chosen just a few of them with the hope that it could remind us of some interesting and powerful realities. One of the first things that perhaps goes without saying is the whole nature of a routine or of a custom. There is a consistency attached to it. Things are done in the very same way every time. Let us you and I think about that consistency for just a moment. I would invite you to notice the very definition of the whole idea. As one speaks of a tradition, that refers to something that has been passed down from a period of time and to something that's done in a regular, steadfast, and consistent way. Maybe there are things in your life that you do primarily because your dad did it that way or your mother did it that way. Or your grandfather or grandmother did it that way. And perhaps there are many things that your children are going to do because they've seen you do it that way. That's the way we as human beings are. And there's a strong element in that in terms of bequeathing to the next generation the wisdom of a particular generation. Maybe that wisdom leads us to notice then this. The New Testament is filled with references to the four-letter word walk, W-A-L-K. We understand so easily that in some cases that word is literally meant to describe that means of walking from one location to another one. As for instance, when Jesus walked through the corn in Matthew chapter 12, He literally was walking through a field of grain. But in so many other cases, that word is used to refer to the manner of life the particular routines that you and I choose to have as a part of who we are. Notice in Acts 21, verse number 21, 
There it is used clearly to refer to that. The particular lifestyle that these individuals had chosen. What about your lifestyle and mine, your routines and mine? Furthermore, you might notice in Ephesians 4.17, Paul referred to the walk of the Gentiles. Again, he wasn't referring to their specific movement from one city to another. He was talking about the choices that they had made to be the kind of individuals they were. How did they live? What was their conduct, their behavior? Not only that, in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 12, we find another reminder about that walk of life that in fact should be yours and mine. A walk that is upright, directed by honesty and forthrightness. Maybe one last pair of references. Your routines in life, as well as mine, should be characterized by a steadfastness, a constancy. When individuals see you and me, they should see someone who is upright and honest every day. Not just Wednesdays and Sundays, but always giving heed and thought to the things of God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, do you and I hear in that a constancy? should be descriptive of your routines in life just like, like it is of mine. Those routines perhaps lead us to the text that you and I noted this morning. It was read in our hearing a moment ago as Greg read for us from Colossians chapter 2. Verse number 8 still says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. There are traditions of men, but they stand opposed to the things of God, opposed to the matters of truth, and therefore they are troublesome and problematic to your soul and mine. And Paul warned the Colossians to be aware of these traditions and not to follow them. When you and I think about those traditions then, look at where it leads us next. One of the routines, perhaps the broadest of all, that should be descriptive of you and me, is lives that are characterized by holiness. Holy living. Now that should be a very strong routine, isn't it? In your business dealings and mine, the way you operate as an employer or an employee, the things you do as a student, everything should be done in such a way that it corresponds to holiness. Look at some of these developments. That is absolutely demanded. In 1 Peter 1.15... You and I are taught explicitly that our conversation, that is to say our routine in life, is to be one of holiness. Over the next few moments then we're going to ask, well, what about the habits of my life? And what about the habits of yours? Now, every one of us are going to have to think about this individually. But do I have some habits that maybe do not correspond to holiness? Are there habits that in fact maybe no one else knows them but me? Case in point, what about the way I think? It may be no one else knows what you think about for fair portions of the day, but question, many of them may be guided by habit. They may be guided by a routine. Do you and I allow our mind to be infiltrated by filth and ungodliness for periods of time? Is it a habit that we seemingly have found at least a sense of interest in? If so, we need to eliminate it. 
We need to put that aside, change our routine so that that's not a part of it. Didn't Paul say to the Philippians in Philippians 4.8, if there's any virtue in praise, there's some things that are to be done. Paul, what are they? Think on things that are true and honest and just and lovely and pure and of good report. Do I feel my day and do you feel yours? Even in times of supposed idleness, are we still nonetheless thinking about matters that could be characterized that way? I'd submit we may have fallen into a habit, a routine in which maybe in a sense of idleness I allow my mind to drift into places, maybe not overtly wrong, but question how good is it? Is it beneficial for my soul or perhaps others who are around about me? Good question, isn't it? That might well be a routine that needs to be considered or maybe even changed. Maybe that routine leads us to the next one. I suppose that one of the most common attributes of the human being is the, are the words that we speak, the speech that we use. What about the words that come forth from your lips and mine? Sometimes, again, we've developed a habit or maybe a routine in life that in this circumstance we answer or at least we do so with a tendency toward a certain way. Is that response or are those words consistent with the Bible, with holy living? I've asked you to think about things like gossip. It's so easy to talk behind someone's back, isn't it? We have a piece of information and we can't wait to share it. Even though it's insulting to their character, it's questioning of the reputation, and we probably do not have all the facts. Perhaps it's interesting to consider, has that a habit that ought to be changed? Maybe under the banner of these verses in Psalm 15 verse 3, it was on that occasion in the days of the long ago highlighted that those who are pleasing before God and those who will dwell in His tabernacle are those who do not backbite. They just don't do it. And so if I am of a routine to do this, I need to eliminate it. I need to put that far behind me. You may notice in the New Testament, in Romans 1, verses 29 to 31, Paul gives an extensive listing of various activities which are not pleasing to God. In fact, Paul says these things are worthy of death. Did you ever notice that one of them in the list is backbiting? If I'm guilty of gossip, sharing information, which quite frankly, again, may not even be true, but it's demeaning of and belittling of and insulting of another's reputation without the facts. Paul says, I'm guilty of this which is backbiting. I'm guilty of this. And Paul says, that ought not be. The holy living then, not only it touches the features of your mind and mine, it touches the words I choose to use. You may notice at the bottom of that slide is a reference to Ephesians 4.29. That's such an expansive passage. I would ask that you notice it with me in passing. Paul, in writing to the Ephesian brethren, said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In that very passage, there might be some to ask, So Paul, what do you mean then by corrupt communication? That's what I'm not supposed to use. Some might say that's an awfully broad term, but notice he identifies it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Notice his definition. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. 
if what you or I choose to say serves no benefit in any way toward the recognition of the expansion of the grace of God, and by the way, that's the topic of tonight's lesson, then we ought to leave that unsaid. That's again a powerful thought, isn't it? You'll notice I've given you some additional thoughts for at least fodder for consideration. Our society has often developed into the usage of certain words that most do not consider inappropriate. They don't consider them profane and they don't consider them in any way unsatisfactory before God. Words like gee whiz or golly. Well, you'll notice if you and I think about the origin of those words and the circumstances that's used behind them, you probably could figure them out with me pretty easily. Gee whiz is just a softened word for Jesus. To use that, you're taking Jesus' name in vain. Words like golly is just a softened form of God. That's the whole reason a word like that developed. Most had a sense that to use God's name per se in a flippant way is not appropriate. But what if I soften it a little? So change the D to double L Y. That softening of it doesn't change the fact of where the word came from. Many other words like that could in addition be listed. But isn't it interesting? What about your language and mine? Have I been guilty of using words like these? Have I been guilty of employing them even commonly? I hope if so that it's time to change the routine. It's time to eliminate them from our language and speech as those who are representative of the called of God. As you and I ponder holy living, let us go to the next slide and notice. What about the ways that we envision ourselves? One of the matters you and I see so easily in the Word of God is that condemnation of the hypocrite. That person who professes one thing and does something else. Our society, at least in many cases, also frowns upon it because it's understood that that is not consistent with what the Bible demands. Might I ask about me and you? Have I been guilty of hypocrisy? Maybe when I gather with the saints, I openly defend a certain thing, but come Monday morning, come tomorrow... When I'm with a different audience, maybe I don't feel quite the same way or at least express it as strongly. Are you not guilty of those things? You might notice in Luke 14, 25, Jesus spoke at length about the demand of serving Him and the consistency that should be characteristic of it and the fullness that also must come along with it. That's only highlighted by that text at 1 Peter 2, verse 12. You and I, although we are pilgrims and strangers living in this world, upon this earth, we nonetheless are such that our citizenship is elsewhere, and we certainly want to be in favor with that great one of all. And so we must not be hypocritical. We must be committed to the Master and fully follow Him in every way. If the habits of your life or of mine are not consistent with that, may we at once start to change them. Those two ideas bring us to a third one. I'm thankful for the song that Jonathan led us in a moment ago. He and I hadn't spoken about this aspect of the sermon, but nonetheless his choice was so appropriate. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? At least that causes us to contemplate prayer for a moment. May I ask... Is prayer a habit or a routine that you have that you feel comfortable with? 
many times during the course of a day, you and I do many things. We might eat several times, or we might enter into conversation several times. How many times do you and I pray? Is that, is that a, a routine with which we're comfortable? Let's develop that thought like this. Revisit with me the days of Daniel for just a moment. As you well remember, Daniel was a very special young man. He was wholesome and good. He was upright and godly. And one of the matters characteristic of that was, it says he prayed three times every day. Three times every day. Morning and noon and then in the evening. As Daniel prayed those three times every day, you immediately gain a sense this was a routine of his life. He did it day in and day out, every day. And by virtue of that prayer, that life in prayer, it allowed him to remain close to the God of heaven. As you and I contemplate about that, you remember what happened. There were some people who were Daniel's enemies. They didn't like the prestige that Daniel was enjoying. They didn't like the fact that he was the favorite, really, of the principal king. And so they decided to come up with a way to discredit him to make him look bad, to harm his reputation. And so they tricked the king. You sign this edict in which nobody can pray to any deity but you. And the king signed it. For 30 days there was to be no prayer to God or any other deity except the king. Question, did that change Daniel's routine? Did it change his order of life? It did not. He still opened his window and three times a day he prayed. That's an impressive routine, isn't it? Do I have a routine that's as impressive as that? Do you have a routine that's as impressive as that? I would ask you to notice, when you and I think about prayers, we need not be under the impression that prayers need to be 30-minute escapades. There may be times for long prayers. It may be your heart is burdened and a long prayer might be the best thing in the world for you. Jesus prayed all night long in Luke 6 verse 12. But realize, according to the Bible, prayers don't necessarily have to be lengthy. Have you ever read the model prayer and counted how long it took you? I tried that this week. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Jesus gave that beautiful, beautiful model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you remember the way it proceeds. I timed how long it took me just to read it with deliberation. Not particularly fast, not particularly slowly. I read it in less than 30 seconds. That's remarkable. What if you and I were just to take a couple of times out of a day and just recite that or read it straight out of the work of God? Wouldn't that be a beautiful routine? Not only that, in 1 Chronicles 4 verse 9, the prayer of Jabez is listed. That one's even shorter. I suppose I didn't time myself in that one. Probably 12 to 15 seconds is all it would take to read the fullness of that part of that verse. Another example would be Matthew, or rather Acts 7, verses 59 and following. There Stephen prayed, and the prayer was only four words long. Lord, receive my spirit. Now those are impressive thoughts. As you and I contemplate making prayer a routine part of life, it doesn't always have to be extremely lengthy, but it always should be meaningful. It is in that sense I wanted all of us to at least think about the encouragement that the Bible offers us toward that end. Pray without ceasing. 
1 Thessalonians 5.17. And even the psalmist highlighted in verse 164 of Psalm 119 the frequency with which he prayed unto God. Maybe in light of all that, let's do make one quick comment. We're talking about routines and we're talking perhaps about the habits of a life. Even though the actual attitude of prayer might be a beautiful routine, may we never get into the routine of just using words that we don't think about. Jesus did condemn that in Matthew chapter 6. Remember, they had vain repetitions. They prayed these things but didn't think about what they were saying. May we never fall into a habit like that. Surely, in light of all those things, we've looked so far at some habits, at least characteristics of them. There's one more that I found very illuminating when I looked at the way the Bible referred to it. It's the matter that we're going to come to in Hebrews chapter 10. Might I ask you to notice with care how the inspired writer refers to this. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 25, please. And while you're turning to that page, I'd like to perhaps identify a few of the features of the background of that passage. The Hebrew Christians were individuals that were suffering a great deal of hardship. There were forces from without that were making their life extremely difficult, so much so that it was in many ways a burdensome thing. However, in light of that, these comments are found. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I've just read that from the King James translation. I have, though, asked you to notice the way in which that phrase in Greek is rendered in some other translations. Please notice with me the following. The King James Version again refers to it as the manner of some. Notice how the ESV as well as the NAS present it. That is to say, the New American Standard as well as the English Standard Version. They refer to it as a habit, as the habit of some is. Notice the American Standard Version of 1901 refers to it as a custom. Let's put those back in place and let me read it using the word habit. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. With that thought in mind now, I believe there's a fullness to that passage maybe we hadn't appreciated before. By and large, it's the case that a person's stance on attendance at the services of the church is a habit. It's a routine. If you are of an individual who has developed a routine to be there every time the doors are open, you see that as significant, as important, and you follow through with it. But if you've developed a habit or a routine to not look upon it with such significance, then notice it's nothing more than a habit that you're not here. It's nothing more than a routine that you choose not to attend. I would ask you to look at it then from that perspective for just a moment. Notice he's not talking then about people who cannot be here. There are times that individuals have illness or family issues or tragedies or other things for which they cannot be present. But the word habit is not used to describe a situation like that. The word habit is used to describe that circumstance in which someone has developed a routine, not a have-to case, but a routine where they just don't come. You'll notice in the next verse what's the penalty for this. For if we sin willfully... 
So this habit is a willful sin. After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. There's nothing more I need to say about that. This habit is condemned. It's a bad habit. In fact, it is a habit, and you'll notice this choosing to absent oneself from the services. This matter of attendance is such that we appreciate some of those comments about the seriousness of that choice. When you and I consider these habits, these matters of life, no wonder the Bible so frequently attaches absence of the services to spiritual weakness. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 30 and following. Spiritual weakness. You and I will recognize well that there are going to be cases in life in which the devil's going to throw some heavy, fiery darts our way. Maybe right now you're not in the midst of that. But rest assured, if you remain faithful to the Lord, He will. Are you going to be ready to avoid them? May I say that one of the things that will be a guiding routine in life is a steadfast devotion to the services of the church. Here at Pippin, we're blessed with faithful attendance in many ways, but it does call upon all of us to revisit, have I developed a bad habit, a routine in which I just don't come when I know I can? If that describes you, my friend, you're, you're in error. You have made some bad choices. And the passage we just read identifies it. You need to get rid of that habit. Change that routine. As we come near the close of this lesson this morning, I hope we've thought about our own routines and our habits in life. There probably are many of them. Are they consistent with the Word of God? If they are, there's nothing inappropriate about them. But if we've come across something that's charged you today to think about something that maybe you habitually do, whether it be attendance at the services and your absence thereof, or whether it be the other features of your thoughts or your speech, if those need to change, please begin at once to repent and make those changes so that you can be a bright and shining beacon for the truth of God. You can indeed be the light of the world. Today, if we could be of assistance to you, maybe you're of a per an individual who has never yet rendered obedience to the gospel, why don't you come forward today and allow Jesus' blood to wash your sins away in baptism. If we could assist you in that, realize you must believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and then, as a candidate for baptism, we'll immerse you into Christ. If you have attended to that need, but at this moment in life, perhaps a number of years have passed, and right now you've developed some habits, routines, that you're just not comfortable with anymore after a lesson like this one that's brought some things to your mind, if you'd like to come down this aisle and ask for prayers of strength and encouragement, we'd be honored to pray for you. And not only that, Jesus would be delighted to stand at your side and help you to overcome all these issues of life. If we could be of help to you today, why don't you come while together we stand and while we sing?